This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In a world where overspending, debt, and keeping up with the Joneses rules us all. Where the voices from the merchants, restaurants, and credit companies lord over the common man. Out of the darkness, like a beacon of hope, comes a new voice. A voice that's rich and creamy, like your favorite butter. It's The Stacking Benjamin Show. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we're over here getting ready for Women's Equality Day, hanging up female-themed decorations. Joe even had a few inflatable ones laying around. They look really surprised. Today, here to talk about a man she doesn't think is doing quite so great, (coughs) Dave Ramsey, (coughs) from the Money Rehab Show, we welcome Nicole Lappin. Also, Bed Bath & Beyond is in the news, and the GameStop craze is partially behind it. We'll explain in our headline segment. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Jeremiah from our Facebook group, who's trying to decide if he'll buy or rent. And then I'll bust out some trivia like women bust through those glass ceilings. And now, two guys who are here to celebrate all the people who help others with money, unless they're total dicks about it, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. All right. Some of that may have been a bridge too far. And I think it's important, uh, Doug, for people to uh, to know that even though you say the things at the beginning of the show that a woman actually writes those, oh, gee, I think maybe it's important we point that out. She does. Especially with, wow, with some of that Paulette Perhatch bringing it today in the open. But we do have a great show. We know this, that while some of those things are false, what is true is it's Wednesday you're here, you made it. You can pour yourself a cup of coffee, relax, and get ready for some learning because we've got a great, speaking of Women's Equality Day, Nicole Lappin, the rich bitch herself. And that's not my term. I know, I know. OG, for those of you listening to the audio podcast, a little startled by that. That's her title. We didn't make wow. that one up either. Yes. Okay. Nicole Lappin was, uh, if you don't know her, she was the youngest CNN anchor ever. 
Now she, of course, is one of the top uh, commentators in the world of personal finance and a good friend of ours. Been down to the basement several times. And today, oh, gee, she's got a beef with Mr. Ramsey that Ah. she talked about on her show. And I heard it and I had a basic question for her and we will dive into that. What's her beef with Mr. Ramsey? And well, we'll find out about that. And also my question about that. Uh, But we've also got GameStop tangentially back in the headlines. We're going to talk buying versus renting. Oh my goodness, so much to get to. But you know what, OG, before all that, I was thinking about something this last week. You know what I was thinking about? Uh, I was going to say the trip to Bavaria. I don't know. (laughs) I, I wasn't. I am a lot. But I was really thinking about this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Isn't that phenomenal? Your thoughts. thoughts it, deep thoughts by Joe Salcihai. It is amazing. With discounts and sponsor plugs and all that. It's incredible. Better than hair plugs. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Maybe I'd, I've thought about that, but that's uh, maybe next sponsor for us. All right, <laughs> let's, get, let's get into some headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. I was reading, by the way, uh, Joe Buck, the popular sports commentator for people who don't follow sports. Joe Buck talking about how unfair uh, hair is in the world. And he admittedly says he's obsessed with hair plugs and make sure he has a full head of hair all the time. Hey, this is uh, this uh, headline today comes to us from the Wall Street Journal written by uh, Caitlin McCabe. And by the way, it's being updated all the time because it's live coverage. Bed Bath & Beyond shares sink after Ryan Cohen files to sell his shares. This is uh, news late last week, OG. Bed Bath & Beyond stock remained under pressure Thursday of last week after billionaire investor Ryan Cohen filed to sell his entire stake in the retailer. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond, known by its ticker BBBY, 
recently down about 21% trading near $18. It's obviously different today. You might want to check it if you're thinking about getting in or out. The shares earlier on pace for their worst one-day percentage loss since June 2021 by early afternoon had recovered somewhat. Mr. Cohen, uh, people might not know, OG, who he is. He's the co-founder of Chewy, and he's the chairman of GameStop. So all of these GameStop Redditors follow Cohen. And of course, the big buildup in, in Bed Bath & Beyond was because all of a sudden, if you remember, after he got all excited about GameStop, became the chairman, trying to turn the company around, all this news that helps send GameStop shares through the roof. He then announced that he was really interested in Bed Bath & Beyond and was taking a big position there. And so now, all of a sudden, last Thursday... He announces that he plans to sell. By the way, selling his options, selling everything. Yeah. Why is this important? The reason I wanted to bring this up to you and to our whole stacker community is this. One of the biggest rules in trading, you know, people talk about individual stocks. One of the biggest rules in trading is you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. People are like, well, fundamentally, if it's a good company, even at Bed Bath & Beyond right now, OG was the world's best company. Nobody had any idea that Cohen was going to decide to sell on Thursday of last week. Nobody had any clue at all. And so you don't know what other investors are doing. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Even if you do all the fundamentals, you could get wrecked in a way that it's impossible to get wrecked if you just buy an index. Well, and that's the trade-off. The trade-off is you give up a chance to ever make a killing in exchange for never getting killed. I was looking at the same stories about Bed Bath & Beyond and you know, it's just, it's all gambling. And there was a story in the Financial Times about a 20-year-old university student that made $110 million trading Bed Bath Beyond. I actually have another story about that guy to follow this one as kind of an offshoot of this discussion. So keep yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, he made a killing, right? Good for him. He guessed right. He had inside info. Who knows what, you know, what caused all of this to go right? I mean, he says that he bought 5 million shares at five bucks a share, I'm just kind of curious how you got 25 million lying around, you know. When you're a university student? When you're a 20-year-old, um, uh, you know, good for him. It's not, it's, a, it's not enough to retire on, but it's a start. If he so, did that, by the way, using options, because clearly that's the way somebody's going to do it at 20, I would think you leverage all a lot of money. I wonder how much money it cost him to leverage that much capital. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't read the whole article because it disgusts me. And I see that it's a hundred percent jealousy. You know, it's like what the f- <laughs> the FOMO is real, people. The FOMO is it real, a hundred percent. But that's what you're trading away. You're trading away the opportunity to do that in exchange for never having to say you're sorry, for never having to say, "Oh, I just lost all of our money." And I go back to the reason that this is such an interesting thing is because you don't know what, in fact, you need to do from a planning standpoint. Because if you knew what was required from your investments, a lot of times we can say, I can you know, max out my 401k or I, you can figure out how much money I need to put in. If you knew what your money needed to do on an annual basis over time, you could invest in the manner in which is required for you to reach your goals. You would never have this feeling. You would never feel like, oh, I got to you know, try some stuff that's on Reddit. The only reason you try stuff on Reddit is because you feel behind. That's it. I mean, or a gambling addiction, one of the two. Yeah. You know? but, but why do you go to the casino? Some people go because eh, it's something to do and it's fun and you know, I might make some money. 
And those are the people that can afford it. Everyone else goes because they're going, I'm so far behind. The only chance I have is pure luck, <laughs> which isn't true, which isn't true. I think, I think that's why the crypto craze was so big. It wasn't because people were interested in crypto. It's because they saw these other people getting rich in a hurry and it felt like a lottery that you can't lose. The train's leaving the station and I need to get on. I don't care what I buy. I'm just buying something because Matt Damon was on the Super Bowl and told me to do it. And no fortune favors the brave. <laughs> There's a book that I like from the 90s. I haven't referenced this in a little while, OG, so I'm going to talk about it again. Uh, it is a book that I'm going to warn people at a time. It's a little boring. It's called Trading Rules. It's written in the 90s. It's out of print. You can still find it in used bookstores. People ask me about it every once in a while. If you read it, though, you get these phenomenal trading rules. And what I love about it, OG, it's a commodities trader in Chicago at the Mercantile Exchange. So he's doing something far riskier than 99% of stackers will ever do. Right. But he's got these phenomenal rules. And this rule that we're talking about today comes from one of his rules. This is where I learned it. You just got to give away that you have any clue what's going to happen tomorrow. You do not. And if you think you do, you need to realize that that is a bias and you need to think about how little your tiny brain is versus how big the world is and how tiny your little position is versus how big the market is and realize how quickly your intuition or thinking that you're smart will totally get you washed out. So the second you think you know anything, which by the way, should lead you back to index funds. <laughs> yeah, broad-based investing. I mean, that used to be a thing, right? There used to be a thing like, I'm going to have more information than you. I'm going to get the information faster than you. I'm going to synthesize that data better than you because I've got a tower full of people. And in some areas and in some markets, that's probably still true. But it's not true when you're talking about Coca-Cola. It's not true when you're talking about the largest companies in the universe, the largest companies in the United States, because all of that information, and that's really the fundamental thesis of the efficient market hypothesis, which is to say that all available information that's public is known to every market participant immediately all at the same time. There are opportunities for outperformance, but it doesn't happen in the S&P 500. It might happen with very small emerging market organizations or very small companies where the coverage isn't so high or there's not a, there's not as much trading going on or there's not as much uh, institutional following. But even then, the information is public, right? It's there. You yeah. can look it up. You get it as a market participant at the same time as the guy or the gal that's in the $100 billion hedge fund office. So you can make the same decisions that they do at the same time that they do. This does not mean, by the way, that I don't invest in individual stocks I don't, and I don't like them. I do. I have a play portfolio that I enjoy. But I think fundamental analysis and keeping that 10-year time horizon is a way better option. D don't worry about if the stock is high or low today as much as you worry about, is this a good company with great cash flow, with low debt? Same thing as we look at our individual stuff, right? Like yeah. uh, focus on those things. And don't get me wrong. The frustrating thing for me about my individual stocks is the emotional stuff I go through. So here's what I go through. I hand ring all day about whether I want to buy this thing or not. 
I continually think over and over that I do know something. And I continually tell myself this rule from the nineties that I just told everybody about that I learned going, nope, got to give that away. Got to give that away. Got to give that. And my brain still goes, no, 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 no. This baby's going to go up the second you put money in it. You decide what the hell I'm going to buy and you buy. And then, oh, gee, this is the frustrating thing. The hand wringing does not stop. The hand wringing and individual stocks just changes to how's this company doing? What's the company going to do? How's it performing versus the rest of my portfolio? How's it doing versus the SP 500? Is it keeping up with things? And the what's the news out of this company? So much hand wringing. And I'll give you an example. You know, the, the dude that is selling his stock is the guy who's the chairman now at GameStop and this big, huge turnaround that the true believers hang on every word. The only thing that's going to save GameStop is if people shop at the company. I mean, so they're doing all these things where they're taking part of the float and they're, they're buying it back. They're tightening it up. They're trying to make the stock go up and that all that stuff, the CFO can do, and that's great. But ultimately GameStop's a good company or a bad company. And here's the thing. I looked at the one year return on GameStop. The cool thing is I have a family member who's heavily invested in GameStop and the hand wringing he goes through every day <laughs> and the amount of data he takes in Yeah, GameStop a year ago was trading at 41. Today, it's trading at 37, as we record this, by the way, a few days before you're hearing it. The S&P 500, I I use ticker symbol SPY, right? The spider as a surrogate, trading at 440 a year ago, now trading at 427. So GameStop, 41, down to 37. SPY, 440, down to 427. Not exact returns, but fairly close And you could have had zero of that emotion, none of the emotion at all, because you own a damn index and who cares? None of the hand wringing, didn't have to follow crap and uh, had pretty close to the same return. This is the same argument for, should I buy a single family apartment building or a single family house in, you know, wherever USA or a REIT? It's like you're hedging all of your, all of your bets you're hitching your wagon to the trailer of one particular thing, right? You're saying, I think this is going to do better than the biggest companies in the world all put together. And sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're not right. The downside is you have to be right more than you're not right in order to make it pay off. And even if you're right 10 times in a row, that doesn't mean that you'll be right the 11th time in a row. So there's so much effort and activity that's involved in being right and trying to stay right that the energy, you know, use per per you know value curve or whatever you want to call it just doesn't make any sense. It's you know what's going to do better, one single organization or the collection of all the smartest people in the entire universe. I'm going to bet on everybody else. Sorry, not you. I'm not betting on you. You're not that good you know, and maybe you will for a period of time. You know, I thought what I thought you were going to say about GameStop was it was from 40, you know, it's at 37. La-di-da hasn't really done much, except that it has. The high water mark is $62 and the low water mark is 20 or 19. So somewhere along that journey, you were like, woohoo and oh God and woohoo and oh God and woohoo and oh God. So depending on where, you know, where you purchased it at, I mean, go back even further. There are people that own GameStop at $300 a share. I think they probably split since then. But my point is, is that 
There's so much that has to go right for you to be right with individual stocks, unless you're doing what I know you do, which you don't really talk about, is you find something that you like to do business with, Disney, for example, and you say, I'm going to buy $100 of Disney every single month. That's my individual stock. And guess what? Then you're back to buying you know, something that is a proxy for a lot of stuff as, as a big organization, and you stop caring about the day-to-day price. But when you take all of your nest egg and go, I'm going all in on GameStop, or I'm going to take it all and buy options on Bed Bath & Beyond or Best Buy or whatever. And don't get me wrong, I still enjoy it. I enjoy the hand-wringing. Dude, I, enjoy I love that. going to the casino. I haven't been in years, <laughs> and I love going to the casino. I hate going to the casino in Oklahoma because I like playing blackjack, and they I don't know if they still do, but they used to charge you a, a per-hand blackjack tax, so which changes stupid. the math on it. I know. But <laughs> there is nothing more fun than sitting at a blackjack table Drinking beer for 15 hours, betting $5 hand blackjack and moving on with life. Or, and, then, and then you go, I, I started with 100 and I walked out with 100. Boring. Let's put $100 in a Wheel of Fortune slot machine. Big money, no whammy. Stop. I tried to play craps in New Orleans about a year and a half ago when I was there. Well, no, I take it back. It was before the pandemic. So I, I got to think uh, so about pre and post. Half a decade. Yeah, there's that malaise of two years I always forget about. But they did the same thing. They had extra spaces that you could bet on that totally changed the odds and made it just horrible. So yeah, yeah, yeah. not but good. Gambling's fun, absolutely. Well, well, and think about this. So we've taken away some of these things that people think right. That number one, I can predict where the stock's going tomorrow. Nobody knew that this dude was going to sell. Number two is that your individual stock is going to perform better because the company's doing all kinds of things. GameStop doing all kinds of cool things to try to shore up the stock, not outperforming the S&P 500 and a lot more hand-wringing. The third thing though, OG, is when you think you find a trader who's done something really well. So you start following them. Your student that you talked about that made a bajillion dollars on GameStop, this is also news the last week from the Wall Street Journal. Mine medicine stock is surging a student who made, the student you just talked about, who made $110 million trading Bed Bath & Beyond. Could be why. This is from Akane Otani. My medicine's a company very few people have heard of. His stock is up almost 50% last Thursday. Why? A college student made roughly $110 million trading Bed Bath & Beyond, according to SEC filings. After the Financial Times report that you talked about showed the students also heavily invested in mine medicine. So right after the Financial Times announced this, right after the stock goes up, this is the percent change as of last Thursday. This is actually in a 24-hour time frame. The stock goes up about 82%. Then it dives back down to up only 60%. Still great since Wednesday, right? So you're up up 60%. But remember, you're buying it, OG, 60% higher than you would if you just bought it 24 hours earlier. Then it surges to almost up 90%. And today, right now, it is only up 30% as we uh, record this, but falling quickly, meaning anybody who bought it after last Wednesday is getting smoked. Yeah, all because somebody said, oh, this guy did really well with this. Let's look at the other positions that he owns. He must be really good at this other stuff. All this stuff that we talked about earlier about like past performance doesn't doesn't predict future performance and all that all that nonsense. Just kind of jumping in it. My favorite part of that uh, 
article from the Wall Street Journal was the final piece there that says, welcome to the meme stock, stock club, mind medicine. If you're late to the game and you missed all the people that got smoked before, have another opportunity to lose money. We're going to dive in even more as we do with each of these topics in our 201 newsletter. That's a newsletter full of all kinds of links and information that goes more into depth. So if you're interested in trading strategies, if you're interested in more about why people get beaten up, more about investing in exchange-traded funds, the efficient frontier, I'll tell you, Brooke Miller does a fantastic job of expanding these topics in the 201, stackybenjamins.com slash 201. Coming up next, Nicole Lappin, as I mentioned earlier, was uh, the youngest CNN anchor. She's also worked on CNBC, Bloomberg, MSNBC. Uh, she not only, of course, is a New York Times bestselling author of Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch, Becoming Superwoman, and Miss Independent. We talked to her earlier this year about Miss Independent. She's the host of the Chart Topping Daily Podcast, Money Rehab with Nicole Lapp. And I was listening to Money Rehab, and she was railing on another financial commentator, a guy named Dave Ramsey. And uh, now we're going to play some clips on this. And I have some basic questions for Nicole about her uh, vitriol of another financial commentator. We'll find out. But first, Doug, I think you've got some trivia for us. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. So do we like Dave Ramsey? Do we not like Dave Ramsey? Is he good or is he bad? I'm waffling, waffling all over Dave Ramsey. Oh, that sounds gross. That might be appropriate, however, because it's National Waffle Day. Ah, waffles. The pancake that looks like it got stepped on by a hot cleat. The graph paper of breakfast. The choice of neurotics everywhere. Syrup in every square. The Waffle House is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because you never know when your dreams will get that hankering for a place to die. So my question is, how many locations does Waffle House have? Nearly 200, 2,000, or 20,000? I'll be back after I go get a warm-up. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because 
Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do. A shout out to he is such a giving member of the fire community, the financial independence, retire early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now and all the work that uh, he did there, just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open, maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit navyfederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things they offer 24 seven help for the U.S. based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to navyfederal.org dot org for full terms conditions and other offers navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender hey there stackers i'm grid gobbler and aunt jemima boy joe's mom's neighbor doug waffle house was started in 1955 they say they're not in the food business they're in the people business a quick google search makes it look like they're in the crime blotter business either way there's a lot going on So, how many locations does Waffle House have? Nearly 2,000. And now, we go to the hot irons of Nicole Lappin's opinion on Dave Ramsey. And coming back down to the basement, Nicole Lappin is here! Hey, wait a minute, I think I have some applause. Do I have applause? There it is. And the crowd goes wild! How are you? Better now that I receive such a roaring applause. I mean, that's really how I should enter every room. You you totally I should. should bring my own applause track. Yes, load it onto your phone, and then you enter a room, and you always have right. all these adoring fans. Yes. Hey, I have been loving Money Rehab. Thank the you. The confessions from an OnlyFans creator. The Was most. That you? It was not me. You 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 did the episode, not oh, me. Oh, there was another OnlyFans creator. There yeah, was of another one. Yes, the other oh, OnlyFans creator. You. Yes, That's no, right. that is it, it, my part time job. Your side hustle. And then and then uh, the best of financial apps was great. But the one I want to focus on today is this one. You ready? I want to play you a little clip from the beginning of your episode. And I'm just going to play a little bit. And then we'll stop and talk about it. And then we'll play a little more and we'll stop and talk about it. Here oh, we go. Wow. This is We're going to hear my own voice. Okay. <laughs> this is an episode from June 28th of Nicole Lappin's Money Rehab Show. Let's listen in. I will take a check. Like a old school check. You recognize her from anchoring on CNN, CNBC, and Bloomberg. The only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. Nicole Lappin. 
I stumbled upon a Reddit thread last night that I found really upsetting. It brought me back to a problem that I had over a year ago, and I wanted to take today's episode to share what I needed to hear then because this post has hundreds of comments and responses. And so it seems like there are people out there who need to hear this now. This thread was for people who have been hurt by financial personality Dave Ramsey and his advice. If you've explored financial literacy online, I'm sure you're familiar with Dave Ramsey. He's been doing a radio show for decades where he gives callers advice on money questions. He's famously anti-debt to the extent that he advises against people even opening credit cards. And he tends to integrate very conservative political views and Christian religious beliefs into his financial advice. His show is quite popular, and he's affected a lot of people, but not always for the better. Here are some of the injuries from the Reddit thread that caught my eye. I want to get into those in just a second. But Dave Ramsey, the focus of this, how did you find this Reddit thread originally that we're about to dive into with these people really going after the the bajillion pound gorilla on uh, radio stations across the United States, Nicole? (laughs) So this stemmed from the time he came out and said, if you receive a stimulus check, you're already screwed. If $600 or $1,400 changes your life, you were pretty much already screwed. You've got other issues going on. Do you remember when he said that? I do remember him saying that, yes. And that really upset me because financial advice by definition is given to people who need help. Financial advice isn't consumed by those who have their finances figured out. It's for people struggling. And I remember very well what it's like to have struggled. And I remember days when $600 or $1,400 would have changed my life. And that didn't mean I was screwed. It meant that I was battling some demon or in the ring with darkness and that I wasn't screwed. I was just going through something and ultimately I would get out of it. But saying something like that as a financial expert, I think is really irresponsible. You know, I'm glad you say that too, because I remember how much that that really rankled me too. That saying that you had bigger problems in your life that, but sometimes for me, I remember Nicole in the mid nineties when I was just absolutely horrible with money and I was down to my last, my last like 85 cents. And I had to walk, sounds like an old guy story, but I had to walk a mile to get gas. This is all in my book. And the dude didn't want to give me a gas can because he thought I was going to steal it. Right. You know what a thousand dollars would have done for me then when I already realized that I was screwed and I was putting my financial house back in order, just beginning to like a thousand dollars would have been everything for me. Yeah. Would have been everything. Same. When I was eating only brown rice and beans because it felt fancier than ramen, but essentially the same diet, I was broke and hungry, you know, $600 would have made a huge difference. And if someone I look up to who called themselves a financial expert or whatever Dave calls himself told me I was screwed, I probably would have believed them. I probably would have given up. I probably wouldn't have put myself back on track to financial freedom if I thought that financial freedom was impossible. And I think that's what makes Dave Ramsey so dangerous. And if he wants, he could pick on somebody his own size. Like, come after me, Dave. Come after the rich bitch herself and show me how big and bad and smart you are. 
Well, that's part of it. For people that don't know, Dave Ramsey, if he does not agree with you online, he will block you. He just, have you been blocked by the Dave yet? Oh, you know what? I haven't checked. That would be such a badge of honor. Yeah, I have not been blocked. But I also, Nicole, I don't think that Dave is the devil. What's interesting to me is that there's so many different voices doing so many different things in personal finance. We kind of find our own people. And I wonder, this is what I wonder, 330 million people in the United States, Dave Ramsey, by most published reports, you know, he doesn't publish his numbers, but most people estimate he has between a million and 2 million people that will listen to an episode. You can take all of his episodes, all of Money Rehabs, all the Stacking Benjamins, all of How to Money, Farnoosh Tarabi, uh, Gene Chatsky, Jill Sutton. You, you can take everybody, all these financial shows, and maybe, maybe there's 25 million people, 30 million people listening. Nobody's listening to finance talk. Like nobody, when it comes down to it, is really listening to finance talk. And I wonder... I wonder this as we walk into this, and I love that you and I have had these conversations before. Is there any efficacy really in us picking on each other when there's such a group of people that don't even listen in the first place? Oh, I am not here to pick on financial experts. I think we're all in the nerd Olympics. I think (laughs) we're all after the same goal in one way or another. And yes, I am all here for financial literacy in any derivation that you want it to come. If you want to listen only to Joe, God bless you. Listen to him all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. If you never want to listen to me, but you find your finances, your financial news somewhere else, Fantastic. I don't have a problem specifically with Dave, although his advice is not for me and the zero credit score, I think it's just bad advice. It's that he's picking on other people. And I feel a responsibility to those people because I was one of those people. I think that, you know, I have not chatted with him. I am so stoked to open up an invitation to have a chat with him at any time. But I can't imagine he knows what it's like to feel hungry or to walk a mile with an empty gas container. And if you're looking for help in those times, getting shat upon is not cool. It's just not cool. So I am fighting for that person who is holding the gas can or eating brown rice and beans or ramen and feeling like they are screwed because they're not screwed. Certainly, Dave has helped people and that episode that I put out was not for those people. It was for the people who felt that they were hurt or taken advantage. And I think that's just not cool, even for the Nerd Olympics. You know, what's funny, Nicole, is that I'm going to answer my own question, which I've never done uh, <laughs> on, on the show yet. I think 10 years of doing this, I don't think I've answered my question, but I do think it's okay for us to call each other out. I do think when we hear something like you heard Dave say, and I heard Dave say, and it sent these shock waves that kind of check in each other so that we're giving good advice is okay. Like holding each other accountable, I think is, is a fantastic way to make sure that these end users get what they came for, you know, that they truly get some good advice from us. And if they don't, which, which, so I don't think the problem here is you calling out Dave Ramsey. I think the problem is Dave Ramsey blocking people. Like if you did blocked. How do you know if you're blocked? I'm on Twitter. I can see his tweets. Does that mean I'm not blocked? uh, Yes, you're not blocked. So you got to try harder. 
you have to you, you have to work more. I've never tried at it, uh, so I'm not blocked yet either. So maybe between the two of us, this episode will get us both blocked. I have no idea. But I know plenty of people. Aaron Lowry from Broke Millennial, who is nice to everybody, you know, blocked by Dave Ramsey. So many badge of honor. I know, right? So many, so many people. I I, think having a respectful discourse or debate is super healthy. You're right. This is different than that. You know, I hold the pain of walking through financial flames deep in my memory and that it gives me this visceral response that I want to be mama bear for people who are listening to it and for my former self. You know, we are the ones that are holding buckets of water for those still battling financial flames. And there are many, many awesome experts to listen to who I don't necessarily agree with the gist of what they're saying. I would do it differently, but they're not going after people who are feeling financially helpless without kindness and compassion. I think there are plenty of awesome financial experts, and I think there should be more to reach all of the people, not only in the United States, in the world, in the galaxy, with financial literacy. And it's just not cool to have a dude like Dave Ramsey call people who need financial help mean things. I'm just Finan- not okay with it. Yeah. Financial planners have compliance departments, which uh, which are often frustrating, but still they have this check and balance, right? We don't really have a check and balance if it's not each other. But that said, I'm wondering, because I'm just hearing the Ramsey fans in our audience who are yelling at their device right now. And I'm, and I'm wondering about this, about D- Dave Ramsey, if he were in on this discussion, would probably tell you that sometimes, Nicole, this is just tough love that you've got to hear the it's, it's like Gordon Ramsey, right? Not Dave Ramsey, but Gordon Ramsey, where he just, you know, that Gordon Ramsey loves the restaurant. He wants to see it succeed. And the reason he's fighting with the business owner is not because he hates them and he's trying to get them all riled up. It's because it's coming from a place of love and they need to hear this unvarnished truth that you're in this place that absolutely sucks and you need to do better. What would you say to that? No, that you're hungry and you can't put three meals on the table for your family and you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're battling some demon right now. And that doesn't mean you're screwed. You're in a situation and you don't need to be kicked while you're down. I'm yes. Tough love is one thing. It is the phrase you're screwed. You've got bigger problems. That really is the part that rankled you about that. It certainly did because you're telling people that, you know, for whom $600 would change their lives, which you and I both remember a time when that would have. No, you can't kick people while they're down when they're peeking their head above water to try and get their financial life together. No, I will not allow you to dunk them down. They're in a vulnerable position. I want to play some of these Reddit thread comments that you did. Who voice acted these, by the way? You've got some great voice actors on your team who voice these things out for you. <laughs> Those are our amazing producers, Mike and Morgan. Oh, they're fantastic. Uh, but you're going to hear Mike and Morgan here, and they're going to talk about these. And well, well, let's let's dive into it. Let's listen back in to more money rehab. This is so fun. There's some really strong language that won't be appropriate if you're listening with kiddos. Here's one from Reddit user IndependentBug1209. This has caused so much harm to my life. As a condition of getting married, we had to go through his course, not just anywhere, taught by my in-laws. They are millionaires. They believe every single word that comes out of this man's mouth. 
He has given them license to just be money obsessed. My wife is chronically ill and can't really have a full-time job. We used our entire savings on medical bills just to try to find out what was wrong. And instead of helping with the millions they have, they only ever give financial help. They just judge us for not being rich. And they judge her for not having a real job. And you should hear how they talk about the people in the FPU classes they teach. Ugh. Those people say such nice things about how helpful my in-laws are and how they can help them with their budget. But behind their backs, they just constantly belittle and talk about how ridiculous those people are with their money. And Dave, that piece of tells people making minimum wage to just get three jobs if that's what it takes to be like him. He treats people with credit card debt like they're just lazy spendthrifts, despite the fact that it's almost impossible to survive without credit card debt just for things like doctor's visits. And his stupid business moves are not the same as people trying to make it, but he treats them the same. Not to mention that business bankruptcy for rich people, which he was when he went through it, is not the same as just being broke and filing bankruptcy. He's a total piece of and uses the Bible to teach people how to be greedy and get rich at all costs. I want to, man, there's a lot to unpack there. That is, I love how, I love how he does such a good job of conveying the anger in that message. So much anger. I want to start off though, for people who don't know what Financial Peace University is, this is a Dave Ramsey course that is taught locally by, by lots of people. I know there's people in our audience who teach a Financial Peace University class. I want to just start from the top here, Nicole. These people are, quote, required before they get married to take Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. But then I, I think to myself, if Dave Ramsey is a, is a national organization, Dave can't require you. Like, you're engaged. If you, if you decide to get, to get married, like, there's no requirement that you have to go through Financial Peace University this, it, it seems like if anybody's requiring it, is it his in-laws? Because I will agree with this person based on this letter. And obviously I'm hearing one person's point of view based on this letter. It's his in-laws that are pieces of as much as Dave Ramsey is. Listen, I couldn't work at Dave Ramsey's organization because he doesn't allow premarital sex. And last year I talked very openly about a miscarriage that I had and he fired a pregnant woman. So I wouldn't even be privy to this conversation at all. And that absolutely, I, I mean, for me, just hearing that, Nicole, it's a gut wrencher, clearly far more than a gut wrencher for you. And not that, not by the way, that you can't, you can't be a part of Dave Ramsey's organization. I'm sure that's not a gut wrencher at all for you, but all of, all no, of, what, no, but all of what you went through with that and then understanding that that his organization would not really care. But in this particular thing that we're leading off your show with, I don't think this is Dave Ramsey's fault. Dave Ramsey's not telling them they have to go through Financial Peace University. They should be angry at, at their in-laws if their in-laws are the ones that required them to go through Financial Peace University, right? But I'm confused. Uh, the folks in this thread were employees. And so when you Dave Ramsey start, employees start at Ramsey Solutions, you have to go through a lot of these different courses and a lot of different things before you get married. There's a lot of uh, rules that I don't know if you're fully aware of as you're taking that job. I got it. So before they get married, they it. have to go to Financial Peace University. Um, you wouldn't even get hired there. Well, okay. Yeah, that's, 
Yeah, that changes that changes everything. A prerequisite before you get married if you work at the Ramsey organization. That's my understanding. The next piece on here, you know, Dave Ramsey says that if you're in credit card debt, you should have you should have three jobs. I don't I don't think that if you have credit card debt, Nicole, having three jobs that there's anything wrong with that. Like I think, hey man, do everything you can to get yourself out of debt. Yes, but having three jobs for someone who has a family is underwater and struggling, that yes, have a hundred jobs. That would be another piece of financial advice. There's a chart that I'm imagining in my mind that's reality versus possibility. And the reality, it's just not, it's just not feasible to have three jobs, three full-time jobs to pay off debt. That's well, the, just advice like, okay, my advice is go find a million dollars. Just go fi- just go find it. What do you mean you can't find a million dollars? Did you check under every rock? Did you look at the Pokemon Go? Just find a million bucks. What's the problem? The place where I have to agree is when this person said, was talking about the tone, right? The tone is, and I think this is what you're getting at, Nicole. The tone is, is that these people are lazy and that they are not phenomenal people because of the fact they got in credit card debt. Like there's some moral judgment as to the fact that they have credit card debt. And yet, as you know, the TransUnion Experian Equifax just announced that some medical debt is not even going to be counted anymore uh, against you on your credit report because there's such a non sequitur between you having this sometimes ridiculous medical debt and whether you're going to make your car payment on time. They're not even going to count it anymore. And yet, I think what you're saying is there's a seems to be in the Ramsey organization a moral judgment attached to this. There is because I'm not arguing that if there were if you could defy space time continuum and you had enough, you know, stamina to to work consecutive full time jobs, then I'm not saying that in theory that's incorrect, but in practice, that's not something that if you're struggling to try and make ends meet through, by the way, a global pandemic. I mean, millions are hard pressed to put meals on the table for their children. This doesn't mean that you need to work harder. It means there's a lot of crappy circumstances in your way. It doesn't mean you're not smart. And that absolutely is what it feels like the judgment is being put on those who are in a hard-pressed situation, which I've been in, which you've been in. And it means that they're in the middle of some battle going on and likely not for the first time and likely not for, and likely for some combination of macro and microeconomic issues that are not going to be fixed in time to put dinner on the table for your kids. So saying just work harder, lean in harder, do more is just not helpful. And it feels out of touch with the struggles that somebody in that situation is actually going through. What is better advice in that situation, Nicole? I mean, obviously, I would want to see somebody's like you would, their specifics, and maybe have credit counseling or some consolidation or some negotiation or a stimulus <laughs> that they could qualify for that they wouldn't be screwed for. A lot of different government programs, grants. I mean, there, there are other things that are available, as you know, for people who are struggling financially. That doesn't mean they're chilling on their couch and trying to like 
take a handout from the government. It means yeah. that they need some guidance more so than a pretty trite uh, piece of advice, like work harder. Just go what work if, harder. What if you heard, you know, what have you heard that when you were holding that gas can? I think for me, well, the answer is I'm already working my ass off and I'm digging a hole because instead of work harder, for me, it was about not having the financial foundation and I was trying to find shortcuts. I would tell my old self there, stop trying to find shortcuts and instead build yourself a foundation because I always thought that I could earn myself out of this. Like I will earn myself out of my crappy money habits if I just earn more money. Not true, because no matter how much money I earned, I would still blow it. I would still not have a budget. I would still not do the very simple math to get where I needed to go. And so to your point, work harder, work harder wouldn't have worked for me. It would have buried me sooner, right? It would just buried me. And it's bad advice even for people who aren't completely underwater. I mean, there's a thing, as you know, called lifestyle creep, right? You make more money, you have habits and it catches up with you. Even if you make more money, it's not about how much money you make, but how much you keep. Well, and that's, that no, matters. And that's absolutely my problem was that my lifestyle was always 10% more than whatever I made. I have big time lifestyle creep. If I got a raise, I deserve more. And like a recent guest of ours, Buffy Purcell said, which I love, Nicole, you'll love this. She said the three, the three worst words when you have financial trouble is I deserve it. Like those are the three words that bury you. They're absolutely, absolutely horrible. Let's dive into the next one here because. Oh gosh. But look, you know, what I'll say is that as you know, there's so much shame around getting your financial life together, right? Or even saying that you have a financial problem. That's why I have an entire show called Money Rehab. The first step to recovery is admitting you have a financial problem. That is the hardest step, by the way. And so that takes an awful lot of vulnerability to even raise your hand and say, I have a problem. And so when somebody does that, I just hope the entire financial advice community will meet them with open arms and kindness and compassion. That's really all I want, Joe. No, and I'm so glad you brought that up because my issue, and when I was on my book tour, I had somebody ask me about this because Dave Ramsey is better known than nearly anybody in the personal finance space. And I've heard from many of my listeners, I'm sure you've heard from yours, that they came from Ramsey searching something different. But I think that when it comes to Dave and Susie, the big problem that I have is this this feeling, when you talk about compassion, this feeling that what a financial expert is, is this, you take your problem, your crappy problem, because you're crappy, you're horrible about stuff. You call up a radio show or a TV show, depending on if it was Dave or Susie, you put it before their altar, right? Getting at the religious nature of Dave stuff about the altar of great money guru. And they yell at you about your money for entertainment. And by the way, I have loved me some episodes of Dave Ramsey in the crappiest way possible. It is fun to watch Dave rip somebody or listen to Dave rip somebody about their money. It is hugely entertaining sometimes. He does it in a very entertaining way. But what it teaches all those people that we leave behind is that I should be shameful about my money and I should get my act together in, in the most shameful way possible because I am a shame human being. And I think it leads a lot of people to bury themselves further. They'll never talk about their money because they feel like people like you or me will rip them because that's what Dave and Susie do. And this is not America's funniest videos. This is life. The financial issues are not 
for reality entertainment, extreme purposes or whatever you were alluding to, right? You watched it because it was objectively entertaining. But if you peel back the onion on that, you're seeing somebody who is struggling. And, you know, maybe I'm a sensitive Pisces. Maybe I'm just a mama bear. But I, I'm sad for the people that finally, because I know what that was like for me, who finally were able to say, like, here's my issue. I need help. That's the hardest thing for so many of us to say. You know, and you're dealing with questions like, will I eat again? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to make it to tomorrow? These are esoteric, deep questions that once you find the courage to speak up about, then, you know, you get made fun of. No, that that is a is just perpetuating the cycle. And I think that needs to stop for whoever you want to listen to. I want to listen to the next one. And uh, let's do one more here. My old church did Financial Peace University workshops. There was some useful stuff in there about budgeting and saving, but it was definitely geared towards people who had a steady livable income and could budget their way out of debt rather than anyone who was in actual need. I also really hated the implication that people who are poor are that way because they are too dumb to budget properly. Add in the element that it's also seen as ungodly to squander God's gifts by being poor and it's an icky mess. That's interesting. Wrapping wrapping faith around finance? I'm okay with it. I'm actually okay with it. I know you're probably surprised to hear me say that. I find myself to be a religious, spiritual person. And if you want to find inspiration from it, I'm fine with it. But if you're using it as a weapon, I'm not okay with it. And that's the way it's being used here. No, it it is. That does surprise me, (laughs) number one, which is why I love having this conversation because I knew we were going to have fun. But second, I also agree with you that I'm fine with it. And I actually had a conversation with somebody earlier today. He's a pastor and he's, and he's doing an, um, an advanced studies project in, in uh, theology, talking about what minimalism and financial independence really can teach pastors and what these communities could teach pastors about the fact that we're about community and helping each other. And that th- these are the foundations of not just the Bible, but a lot of different religious texts. And so I, I'm I'm with you there. The the thing that's always rubbed me Nicole the wrong way is this. You have a for-profit company that is in churches and is intertwined with churches that is earning a profit off of the nonprofit community nature of a church. And that 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 single thing where where your marketing strategy is to take advantage of, and and I think I choose those words pretty carefully, take advantage of the fact that these people are coming at you from their religious affiliation to your for-profit company. It just feels a little dirty to me. Yeah. I, I mean, there are a lot of people, as you know, from your last book tour, a lot of authors who do this church circuit. I wasn't invited into that circuit because I wrote a book called Rich Bitch and it wasn't super church friendly. The gist of my books, as you know, is rooted in the tips that this woman mentioned were good advice on savings and budgeting and things like that. I don't know if I would feel comfortable actually selling a book there, but I would feel very comfortable giving a lesson. Um, I think that community aspect would be a great place to talk about financial literacy. Heck, I think any place is a great place to have a 
chat about financial literacy. But as you know, there's a verse in Leviticus that's you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what does that mean? You have to love yourself in order to love your neighbor, right? And so in order to treat the community with the respect and uh, kindness that you you know, may believe, you have to do that for yourself first. And I think the ultimate self-care and self-love is forget about manis and petties. And I mean, I do love a good pedicure and deep tissue massage as much as the next girl. But I think ultimate self-care is financial hygiene. I just went through my whole uh, cyber life yesterday as an aside. I felt like that was self-care. I sat down with like some CSI type guy and updated all my passwords and got that together. And I felt like, oh, wow, this is self-care. I am taking care of myself. I am loving myself in not a traditional way. But I think that taking care of each other in education and financial literacy should be core to those beliefs. Financial hygiene may be my new favorite catchphrase of all time. I love that. That's so great. And by the way, you know, that self-care, far better self-care than going shopping, right? Which is transitory and is this dopamine hit that's quick. Man, you're you're going to feel good. That pays dividends, changing all those passwords and getting your financial cyber house in order. Pays totally. dividends forever. Uh, so much more here, by the way, we will link to this episode of Money Rehab because I know that the stackers out there want to hear more of this episode. It is so good. It's obviously why I wanted to talk to Nicole about it. I think there's so much here, not just about Dave Ramsey, but about how we treat each other. Number one, the shame that we probably shouldn't have that I think all of us have about money. And so many people, as I went on the road, Nicole wanted to talk about how do I bring my sister, my brother with me, right? How do I bring other people with me? Mm-hmm yelling at people about their money. I think you and I totally agree. Not the way to do it. Money rehab, wherever you listen to finer podcasts, Nicole Lappin. Thanks for hanging out with me again, sister. Always a pleasure, Joe. Hi, I'm David Stein. When I'm not talking to other people about money on money for the rest of us, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Nicole Lappin for coming on and boy, some, some strong stuff there. And on, on one hand, OG, uh, you know, you f- Nicole having a miscarriage. If one of our employees had a miscarriage, is that our is that our business? Whether it's uh, in wedlock or not. Well, I mean, how do we feel about it? It wouldn't be my business. But what you say? It you wouldn't know, be our. It wouldn't be your business. Would not. Yeah. Oh, it would yeah, not. I mean, yeah, for us, it would, it would not, not be. Yeah, for us, you know, absolutely not. I mean, it has an effect, right? It affects insurance premiums for everybody. You know, there's some other business related issues. I can't say that I happen to agree with how he has chosen to run his business, but, um, yeah, at some level, it, it, I mean, it's kind of sort of his business though. Right. And, you know, I mean, well, I agree. Yeah. I don't agree with the way that he runs his business. I don't think that I would run my business that way, but I also think that, uh, you know, if Dave decide it's up to us to choose if that's what we want. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, the cool yeah. thing about us is people don't like the Stacking Benjamin show. They can turn it off and go somewhere else if you don't like Dave Ramsey's morality. Let's talk about this bigger discussion, though. Nicole, obviously going after Dave on the Money Rehab show, right? Clearly going after Dave. Not not a fan of Dave's at all. I mean, I think she made that pretty clear. Yeah. But financial commentators pointing the finger at other financial commentators when so few of people listen to financial stuff at all. And I wonder if... 
does Dave Ramsey do more damage by the way that he yells at people for entertainment about money and chides them, which is the reason why some people go, oh, I want nothing to do with that. Versus, you know, hearing even us today, us questioning Nicole, questioning Dave, like us questioning each other. I think to some degree that makes people go, "Uh, I don't know that I want anything to do with that. Where do you come down on that? Advisors have compliance, right? We have no compliance. Yeah. I think that there's not enough people doing the right thing with money. I think that there's not enough people talking about the right thing with money. I think that there's a thousand variations of the right thing of money. How you do it and how I do it may be slightly different, but we're still trying to do it the right way or the way that we know how. And is there like a slightly better way? I mean, take some Dave advice of don't do anything of saving or investing until you've paid off all your consumer debt. Okay. That's his way of doing it. Does it make it right or wrong? I would say take the free money in the 401k and pay off your debt. Do the contribution in your 401k up to the company match. Maybe he disagrees with that. Does that make him right and me wrong or me right and him wrong? I don't know. I don't think it matters. I think that's more of personality. I think it's much more of a know thyself, you know, in terms of what's going on in your world. You can't make blanket statements. Yeah, but she's not talking about that. She's talking about fundamentally yelling at people about their money is not right. Yes. I think that if we took all of the stuff that we listen to and stop calling it news or stop calling, you know, I was talking to Doug about this the other day and I said, I wish that we would stop calling what we, you know, I read in the newspaper or I saw in this news article, we say that, you and I will say that on the show. I, t- I was watching the news the other day and just start changed it to the word entertainment. It totally puts a different <laughs> spin on everything, doesn't it? It, it, like, it becomes more realistic. I was reading this entertainment story the other day about what was going on in South Florida at Mar-a-Lago. You know, you're like, okay, what was your entertainment story about? My entertainment story said, you know. <laughs> I was reading this political entertainment. Yes, I was leading, uh, you know, so... Dave has a way of doing it that has obviously helped, I I don't know, millions of people, I'm assuming, get through his baby step formula. Some people respond very well to that. I mean, the Marine Corps exists, and there's not a lot of hugging and like, hey, we'd really like you to be okay if you, you know, kind of grabbed your rifle and maybe went on that hike with us. That would be fun, don't you think? You know, there's not a lot that goes on in the squad bay. That's, that doesn't happen not much. A, no, they're not like, hey, so there's bad guys over it's the hill. Surprise. Um, if you're not too busy, we'd like you to maybe shoot them in the face. You know, <laughs> there's, it's like, <laughs> go, attack. You know, there's like a lot of F-bombs that go on. And some people respond really well to that. You know, one of the most famous quotes in Marine Corps history is, come on, you sons of bitches. Do you want to live forever? You know, it's like, this is, rally cry of let's do it f and a let's go you know but i don't know that you want to run your organization that way i don't know that that's not the way that we've chosen to do it there's a lot of stuff that i disagree with that goes on in the financial media space if i don't like it i'll tell you that i don't like it that doesn't make me right or that person wrong that's just my professional opinion well i agree with everything that you said i still don't come down against nicole calling him out I think that's perfectly fine. And that's, that's great. When warranted, uh, you know, I would, I would like to save it for de- very destructive behavior. I, I think like she our, has some very legitimate beefs 
And, and, and you know what, regardless of what we think about it, it's going to continue. I mean, Nicole's not gonna be the last person to call another person out. No. So let's just keep on doing what we can do. I think we'd, you know, what does mom upstairs say? You attract more flies with honey than you do vinegar, something like that. I don't know. You know what we're going to do, OG? We're going to attract more flies right now by throwing out the Haven Lifeline. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but we're going to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Oh, uh, I'm valuing all this rain that we're getting. This is fantastic. It is is nice. uh, You know, I work better when it rains. I don't know what it is, if it helps my ADD or what it is, but I work so well when it rains. I love a rainy day. Uh, Yes, it's your loved ones and your time and rain. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple so you can savor the rain. Head to stackingbenjamins.com slash havenlife. Now you'll get a free quote. They're committed to offering a modern way to buy life insurance. Their application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and of course, all policies issued by Mass Mutual, more than 160-year-old insurer. No waiting several weeks for a decision, lovely customer service, and more. Hey, you know what? We got a great question in our Facebook group. Jeremiah's got a question, OG, that I thought's a great one for our larger podcast audience. He needs help deciding if they should rent or purchase a home. He and his spouse's combined income is about $180,000. They right now rent and it's $2,800 a month. They can't stay in their current apartment. They have to move. Doesn't explain why, but says that currently this is the issue. His mother-in-law lives with them and they take care of her. So they need a larger home. (laughs) Don't, don't take your feelings about your in-laws and, don't project and, that onto project Jeremiah. Yeah. Got it. Uh, uh, Jeremiah sounds like he actually likes the fact does, that he has a mother-in-law actually. suite. I didn't, I, I was reaching for the button before I got the last part of it. So I, <laughs> so I this is kind of a preemptive trombone. He needs a mother-in-law suite, which obviously is going to make things a little, a little tougher. So, that means the rental market's pretty difficult to find a match. And when he does match, instead of $2,800 a month, well, that bumps up to $3,200 to $3,500 a month. So here's the deal. He's not sure that he's going to be living in the same area beyond three or four years from now. So he's got like a three to four year time frame, And he's wondering, he's thinking on one hand, with that rent being jacked up, that he should just go ahead and buy. But on the other hand, He's only going to be there three or four years. So does he suck it up and have a big bump up in his rent? Maybe almost $800, $700, Or does he look at buying even though he's got a short-term time frame? Well, we don't get any sense of what the purchase price would be of a house you know, that he's looking for, right? He actually says that if he bought a house that would have the space he needs, it's going to cost him about the same as the rent. And that's kind of what makes him think about buying. Cause he's like, even if I include PMI insurance taxes, I'll still be at 3,200 to 3,500 or I rent yeah. 3,200, 3,500. Yeah. The, the, the whole thing on renting versus buying is not just on the purchase price because taxes increase every year. Obviously your mortgage stays the same. Your insurance is going to increase every year. You've got maintenance, much higher utility costs, generally speaking, because you just have more space you know, you've got other housing costs to deal with, like mowing the grass or shoveling the snow or, you know, there's just stuff. So it's not just a clean, simple, 
I pay 3000 here, I pay 3000 there, life's even. So I think you've got to kind of sort of account for that too. My question would be is if you bought the house and you wanted to move in three years and the market was down, what would you do then? Would you Do you have the ability to stay where you are? Or is this move because of work-related that you're pretty sure you're going to move? Would you be able to afford keeping the house and renting it out at the rate that you would need to to get close to break even? You know, so those kind of the next level questions that I would ask on that, uh, it sounds like it's going to be pretty tough to find a, a place to rent, but you might be able to find a house to rent for that term. If I was in that situation from a housing standpoint and I had the house that you're looking for, the the worst thing about renting a house is having the turnover, right? The worst thing about being a landlord is every year you're, you know, you got to get the house ready. It takes two months to get it listed and re, you know, and you're pretty attractive from a leasing standpoint of saying, how about I do a three-year lease? <laughs> I'll even increase my rent every year for three years. Just make it so I don't have to move. That might be an option too, that you're not considering relative to, you know, kind of those needs. So, so you might be able to, to kind of kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, get the place that you need from a size standpoint and lease it, but lease it over a long period of time gives you some bargaining chips with the person who owns the place because, you know, they don't have to worry about you leaving in 12 months and they got to play the game again. And then you kind of have the best of all those worlds. Jeremiah, thanks for the question sharing that with the community. And he got lots of great answers in the community, but I thought this is, you know, once again, like we talked about with stocks, OG, a lot of stuff people aren't thinking about when it comes to buying property. Right. Hey, that's going to do it for today. Man, we got a lot of stuff happening in the community. And if you are somebody who, number one, has left us a review, huge thanks to you. Mom puts those on the refrigerator, brags to her friends at the Bridge Club. Uh, But even more than that, if you're somebody that helps a podcaster you've never met before find new stackers, uh, you're, you're my kind of person. Thank you very much for helping us out there. We also offer additional help on a few levels. The 201 is a great resource that we mentioned earlier in the show. Increasingly, we're doing giveaways over there. We're, we're going to be rolling out a pretty wild one in September, giving away something that just might help you with your holiday gift list. And OG, I'll share with you after the show what we're doing there, because I don't even think you know about this one. This is neat. I'm not invited to any of the meetings. So. <laughs> Second, OG and I both speak to groups about planning and about taking control of your financial future. We have fun audience interactive talks. You can write me, Joe, at stackybenjamins.com for details. Go to joesalcihigh.com. Uh, and OG and I are separately happy to come and speak to your group. But finally, if you don't have time for speeches, you're not here for additional reading, you're just worried about the market and the chatter around the recession that could be on the horizon. In a recession or not, I don't know. I don't care. All I know is there's a suckitude going on that a lot of people don't like. And OG and his team have put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market, eight of them. And this guy to help you plan more and panic less, no matter what the market does. So go over to stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. That's stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. And you'll get OG's helpful free guide. Thanks for doing that for everybody, OG. I think that's all the community stuff. And we're going to hand it over to you, Doug. Man, there was a lot today to unpack. But what should we have learned today? 
Sure thing, Joe. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, even if someone gives advice that helps people, it's worth looking into all the effects their work has on the world. Are they helping or hurting? We should hold each other accountable. Second, individual stocks? Sure, invest in them if you want, but realize you don't know where the company is headed next and you don't have any idea what other traders may do tomorrow. And that's exactly why we stick with index funds with a good portion of our money. But the big lesson? <laughs> Waffles are a healthy treat you should eat anytime you're too bleary-eyed on a road trip to care what you put in your body. Thanks to Nicole Lappin for joining us today. You can find more about what she's up to at NicoleLappin.com. This show is the property of SP Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Brooke Miller is our producer today and our amazing newsletter editor of The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. I mean, you can share what we talk about. I just love the fact that people don't realize that this is here. We had a fun, by the way, happy hour with uh, people that are referred to other people to our 201 newsletter. We have a reward system. You can get everything from stickers to swag to these exclusive uh, hangouts. And we had a good time showing people behind the scenes. And on that call, stacker Linda told me that uh, she didn't know the after show existed for about six months of listening. (laughs) She just happened to let it run long one day. 
and uh, found out that we were here. And our statistics, by the way, as we look at them, show that same thing. There's still a bunch of people in our community. So let's, you know, let's let's keep this on the DL. Uh, but get this. What if, what if personal finance was like a contact sport? Like it was something OG, like where they had referees and commentators. Could you imagine watching somebody do their budget? And you got like you and I as uh, Joe Buck and um, Troy Aikman sitting down at the table. Oh, look at that. Look at that. They're scrolling through OG. They're scrolling through the bank app. They got the bank app out. Oh, looks like they found out that they're overpaying for their cell coverage. This is a good one. What do you think about that one, OG? I think it would have to be a little more exciting. Do you? Because get this, it's actually happening. It's happening. ESPN. I heard about this at first and I'm like, there's no freaking way. This is, this is real. Turns out this is real. ESPN broadcasted a couple weeks ago, the Microsoft Excel world championships and the people that tweeted about it were tweeting about just how it's way more fun than you would have ever thought that it was like the people that are commentating for Excel's Excel worksheets for Excel worksheets, the same Excel worksheets. I enjoyed this so much last week, OG, when I discovered it, that on our Instagram live, which happens most weeks at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern on our Instagram channel, I shared it there and I asked people that were hanging out with us, like, what are some of the other games, you know, budgeting? Somebody were saying uh, the couple that can budget the longest together without getting into a fight, <laughs> like that would, that would be an Olympic sport. But these announcers are having uh, so much fun talking about that. This is the Excel Esports, Excel Esports All Star Battle. Listen to these announcers. Yeah, uh, Unicode characters, those various arrows pointing in eight different directions, and express them as directions at the bottom, so north, south, yeah. west, and so on. It'll be easier to use those in his index and match. That's right. Uh, um, okay, okay, okay. So. Oh, he's using left. Now, how about how about um flash fill? <laughs> right? Oh my God, what are you doing? This is Oz Delay, who hates all artificial intelligence. No, for something like this, you can see it, right? You can <laughs> That's see. Right. That's right. right. You'll know. These guys getting all excited. This is flash fill. It's incredible. Who would have thought that he was going to go to the right? I just got one thing to say about this OG. Just 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 one thing for these people. Nerd! There are kind of people. <laughs> well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military and of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, mr surly navy federal offers member only exclusive rates discounts and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals visit navyfederal.org celebrate and you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses 
to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.